The Fanfic Writer's Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lamy, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In today's episode, we talk about the ins and outs of writing dialogue, finding your character's voice, and argue that sometimes there is nothing wrong with a good monologue. We talk about working on dialect and letting go of the expectations of perfection, pointing out that often getting to 70% is enough. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writer's Craft. My name is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. We are recording this episode a bit ahead of time today because uh, I am going on summer holiday at the end of August and I will probably not have time to record. Also, I am planning to write castles during that time or kind of beforehand. I'm not really sure. And as such, I will probably be either buried under work or work will have just finished or, you know, whatever. Uh, So just to account for that, we are recording this episode a bit ahead of time. Uh, But it's great to be here. How are you, Lani? What's been up? Very little has changed since uh, five minutes ago when we last recorded. Very little in my life. Yeah, so Lani, unfortunately, is feeling a bit sick today, so um, we're trying to, but she's been very kind and open to recording uh, still, so I'm very, I'm very, very grateful. But anyway, I am, uh, so have you been writing anything lately? I've not asked you, like, I know you were still working on Merriman, right? Yeah, I'm still working on that. Um, I, I am taking a little bit of a break from my other stories right now, because sometimes I'm just not not in the headspace for the other ones. But yeah, I'm I'm still working on that, still researching, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The research never ends. I'm sure, I'm sure. Like, I, I mean, I've said this before, but your ability to research for fanfic is amazing. I think, I think that's great. I don't think I would be willing to put that much effort in. I remember when the Fulton Fulton manufac- Manufacturing came out, someone uh, said in the comments or something like, oh my God, you must have done so much research. I'm like, Ireland and stuff and I was like no I just live here <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's like the, the typical Americentricity of Tumblr or the internet in general where if a, if, if a story is not set in the United States you must have done a ton of research rather yeah. than just actually it's based on your actual life yeah although I will say something I so obviously I live in Ireland but I live in amongst the community that is very much I'm going to use a word that I hate for reasons, but for the sake of this, I'm going to say expat community. Mm-hmm. Uh, although expat is the word for white people to move abroad when they're from like other backgrounds. It's always immigration, which really annoys me. But anyway, for this context of this, it's an expat kind of community. And the number of people who don't even know like who the prime minister of Ireland is, is bizarre the number of people who i've met who've been in ireland for like 10 years and are like oh i don't know what the political system is i'm like you live here but anyway um getting back to the episode <laughs> i think we're both a little bit tired and a little bit tangential today um so today we're gonna talk about uh, dialogue 
And this was Lani's idea. I think it's a great topic uh, to discuss. So I'm going to let you lead. So Lani, talk to us about dialogue. Um, yeah, so I was really excited to talk about dialogue because um, this year it's been something that I've been trying to focus more on and improving in my own writing um, because I feel like for a long time dialogue was something that I had to include, but I maybe wasn't considering it as something that could really sparkle or shine in my writing because I was more interested in like uh, sort of narration and description. And this year I've really been trying to push myself to enjoy writing dialogue more. And so for me, I think creating convincing dialogue is really about listening and you'll actually see me sitting in the chair with my head cocked as if I'm trying to overhear something, like I'm really trying to listen rather than come up with things to say because I, I really do like to hear it come to me as if I'm overhearing these characters talking. And and I'm uh, part of that building that skill is really listening in real life when you're hearing people talking, eavesdropping, listening to conversations even when you're not really interested in the subject matter but you're interested in how people discuss it, um, and then also listening when you're hearing any kind of unscripted speech. So that could be like reality TV, um, interviews on TV with any kind of person, podcasts as long as they're not scripted and so forth. And you really need to kind of listen for like, what does real speech sound like? What does interaction sound like? How do people sound when they're speaking to people they dislike or have a antagonistic relationship to? And how do people speak to, you know, close friends or, or people they love? Um, and then of course there's different kinds of people. So if you want to know how children speak, you need to listen to children from that age group. If you want to know how um, a person with a specific disability speaks, you need to listen to someone with that disability. So for example, when I was writing a story where the main character um, had suffered a stroke that injured um, his right brain and, and he had aphasia, I listened to interviews with people who were recovering from that kind of stroke and had to relearn speech and hear like exactly how those people speak because it's it's not, like it's not an accent, but it's it's a really specific way of speaking that you re you really have to hear to understand how it sounds to be speaking after recovering from a stroke and aphasia. And so one thing that I've done, which I think a lot of writers are recommended to do to learn how to write speech, is to listen to a recorded conversation and try and transcribe it word for word, including all of the ums and ahs and repetition, not taking out anything. And that usually actually takes a long time for like one minute of listening that will maybe take you 10 minutes to transcribe as you realize how hard it is to, to parse what someone literally said versus just the meaning that you picked up on it. Mm -hmm. What would you say, Joe? Like, have you ever tried that? I feel like I have not for the the purpose of writing, but I just like I had to do it for work sometimes of like just transcribing like a video or something. And yeah, it's really annoying. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> it takes so long. It takes a really, really long time. Um, and I think um, one of the things that is interesting as well is, I don't know if you, so maybe you don't, but I always, every time I watch TV, like watch a film or whatever, unless I'm in the cinema and I can't do it, I always have the, um, like the closed caption on. And it's funny how even on the closed caption, like this speech is not exactly what the person is saying like even when they do close caption they do kind of modify like or get rid of the hesitations or things like that 
Um, so it's funny how, like, I think it's a very specific kind of exercise to really, really transcribe exactly what people say. Yeah, definitely. And and we also know if you've ever tried using text to speech, uh, speech to text software, that um, none of it works. It's not all that useful. If you want to accurately have your speech transcribed, you have to speak very slowly and unnaturally. So we know that obviously, like, the human brain is much more than a sound processing machine. One thing I wanted to talk about in terms of dialogue is that uh, when you're writing for fiction, obviously, it's not necessarily your intention always to produce the most naturalistic, uh, realistic sounding dialogue. And, and quite often, some writers will use more stylized forms of dialogue that are intended for an artistic effect. And it's not because they don't understand that what they're writing doesn't sound natural, but it's because they want something that's a little bit higher or more surreal or more funny or more articulate. And so for me, one of those writers who I like, who will sort of move between more natural speech and speech that's a little bit faster or funnier or, or quippier is Noah Baumbach. And I really love the dialogue he wrote for Marriage Story, which is the one that stars um, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And uh, that was a movie that I didn't think I would cry in, and I did. And so he's also done a, num a number of other movies that all involve... Um, a lot of sort of back and forth banter that it's not like Aaron Sorkin style banter. It's a little more natural than that, but it's also a little bit mm -hmm. elevated, I think, compared to normal speech. And so would you would you say, Joe, that you have like specific uh, writers for movie or TV movies or TV that do dialogue that you've really appreciated? Yeah, well, I think like you've mentioned him already i think classic is aaron sorkin um i know lots of people have like differing opinions about him and i understand but personally i still think he's an amazing writer of dialogue and i think he i think he just like when you the number of times i watch the social network specifically and you're just like i'm just in awe and the social network is funny because it's one of those films where every time i watch it I both really enjoy it and at the same time I it makes me incredibly depressed because I'm like I will never write like this <laughs> um so but yeah no I'd say Aaron Sorkin um for especially for like what he writes which is like American uh dialogue and specifically like kind of bentery quick dialogue I think he's great um, I think someone who's good for more like English dialects and also like he's done a couple of movies on Ireland is Ken Loach. Uh, obviously his films are extremely political. So if that's not what you're into, like <laughs> that's grand. But, uh, but I think he's very good at doing a uh, dialogue specifically certain either regional accents of England or like working class kind of backgrounds, things like that. Um, I think Kent Loach is is a really good, uh, is a really good director and very good at, at doing that kind of scene. Um, for, for comedy, I'm not someone who's very big on like English language comedy. I think comedy is something that is very hard to translate. And most of the time, like when I watch like English language stuff, I just don't find it funny. <laughs> um, I think I have a very French sense of humor. Uh, but like for comedy, if you, if you are writing in French, uh, I think Alexandre Astier is absolutely amazing. Like the, like if, I mean, I'm a, so Camelot was a very famous like French sitcom in the late 2000s, I want to say, like when I was in high school. Um, and I'm definitely the Camelot generation. I love this man so much and he has, uh, you know, he's made me laugh and cry at the same time. And yeah, he's great. If you, are, I think, writing in French, that's great. 
Um, I do think something, you know, something that you have to be aware though, when you're looking at like film or TV as a model for dialogue is the fact that the dialogue can look very different in the script versus what is spoken by the actor. And, you know, like it depends. Some people are very religious about their actors saying the lines extremely faithfully. Like I know Aaron Sorkin is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the person I spoke to about like France, Alexandre Lassier is, is like that as well. But I know some directors will have like a lot more, will give their actors a lot more leeway. And so I think that's something that you need to be aware of is that, you know, the dialogue that you may admire in a film or a TV show might not necessarily be the way that it was written in script. So I, um, yeah, definitely some directors are known for encouraging improvisation. But in that case, it's like the dialogue that you hear when you saw the finished movie, you might have really enjoyed that dialogue. So regardless of who wrote it, I think you could say, you know, these are the films where I really appreciate Mm -hmm. the dialogue. Um, I wanted to also add in Mike Lee for English working class dialect. He has done a lot of sort of kitchen sink realism style English films that I really love. And he's also somebody who will sometimes go uh, very realistic and will sometimes go into a more poetic or elevated form of speech. Um, Like he'll have characters who perform a kind of monologue. Um, I'm a big fan of letting a character have a monologue, even though we know that in real life people usually don't speak at length for that long without being interrupted. I'm okay with it because I really love the theatricality of the monologue and I love giving a character a chance to ramble because the longer you speak uninterrupted, the more sort of personal and intimate the things you say become. So yeah, I guess I I wanted to ask you a little bit, Joe, how do you feel about letting a character have a monologue or any kind of long extended uninterrupted space of dialogue? Um, I think I, I think I have the same opinion as you. I think Yes, it's true that it's not quote unquote realistic in the way that, yes, of course, most people don't speak for like five minutes uninterrupted. But I think in fiction, when it's done, now, of course, there's people who don't do it well. And, you know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But I think generally when it's done well, it, it makes sense. Like there is a scene in Castles where, I'm, which I have not published yet, but where, you know, there's a, there's a really long conversation between Harry and Draco Malfoy. And Malfoy kind of has this like maybe two or three minute like monologue that I do interrupt sometimes. But I do think, yeah, you know, sometimes you need it to kind of explain certain things. And I think if you can make the speech sound like, sound like speech, if you can make if you can give it a rhythm, if you can give it something that the reader will like latch onto and really want to read, I think that's fair enough. The thing is, don't do it all the time. Like, I think you have to dose it a little bit and be like, okay, I can have like one monologue per like 20,000 words or something, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. You're not doing it all the time. Don't do it all the time. You can't do it all the time. But I think in certain very specific circumstances, you know, it, it like it makes sense. Uh, I just had the thought that by the time this episode airs, castles will be out. Um, so you might, you guys might know what I'm talking about. But yeah. anyway, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my opinion, I suppose. Yeah, I guess for me, like I, I imagine um, 
the theatrical monologue is kind of like in a musical that wouldn't that would be a song like that would be that that character's solo and uh yeah i'm getting more into the monologue i never used to write anything like that because it wasn't quote unquote realistic but now i think i'm more okay with like i don't like I'm okay with having it as long as it's not all over the place. It's it's rare and maybe it's only one per character. You know, you're not giving a character like multiple monologues. But I like to think of it as like giving that character their chance for the Oscar cuz like you know that um the actor who plays a character that that gets like an extended monologue like that that is what gives that actor the chance to like show off what they can do. And so I like to think of it as like giving that character their their chance yeah. for, you know, best supporting actor or whatever, especially if it's a it's a more minor character, then you're really giving them the chance to shine because they don't normally get to shine. So, yeah, I would encourage those mm-hmm. listening to this because I know the monologue is not very popular in fan fiction at all. You'll rarely come across it. And I, I guess I would encourage people to try it out. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that you might want to think about as well is like, there are people who do speak in monologues. Like, if they're not that, there's not that many, but there are people who tend to like speak in like long chunks of times in, in life. Like, they're just, they just exist. And I think, you know, like, for instance, in, in Castles, like, you know, in, for instance, Julia has a number of monologues, which is, she's an OC, but like, I wanted her to sound like that. Like, I wanted her to be one of these people who think that their own opinion is like the main thing that is, that people need to hear. And I think like there are people like that in real life as well who will just monologue their way through life because they think what they have to say is like the most important thing. And I think like that is something that is so, also like a quirk that you can give a character. Like if you want to have fun with it or whatever, if it's like a secondary character, you can have them, you know, be the kind of person who will just launch into monologues. Another, another person that I'm thinking of right now in like a more humoristic kind of way, but Colin in Dairy Girls the uncle like the crazy uncle who like goes on these like really long tangents um, is also someone like that so I think that's something that you can explore as well yeah and I think if you have a character and you want to give them a monologue but they're normally a more quiet character not the type that would type your ear off then you need to give them something to do while they're talking so maybe they're driving and talking maybe they're making coffee and serving something while talking like you know maybe they're being tasked with teaching somebody something so they have to talk for an extended period so they don't have to be just sitting and talking like you can give them a task to do while they speak um i wanted to go on and share some of my favorite dialogue quotes from television these are are quotes where i think if you had watched that show you would recognize these right away because they're pretty iconic and i wanted to sort of discuss them as like really amazing examples of how a character can can go on a sort of mini monologue that can become really iconic. And so the first example is from Mad Men, and the context of this is that Peggy is explaining her mental state to her co-worker and former lover Pete after revealing that she gave birth to his baby and gave it away for adoption. One day you're there, and then all of a sudden there's less of you, and you wonder where that part went. It's living somewhere outside of you, and you keep thinking, maybe you'll get it back. And then you realize it's just gone. And I really, um, 
I really love that um, partially because I love Elizabeth Moth's delivery of those lines and I like I like that she ends it on a downer I like that she ends it with it's just gone mm -hmm. and you really do see um, her character over the course of the entire series you see that after she gives the baby away there is something in her that permanently changes and never goes back to the way it was like there is an innocence that dies and never comes back and that really influenced me as I'm writing Merry Men now which you know a lot of it is about a sort of psychic death that happens as as you're traumatized um, and a death that is a psychic death that is permanent and irreversible the second quote that I wanted to quote is also pretty iconic there's so many Breaking Bad quotes that I could have picked but I chose this one um, and so the context of this scene is that Walter who is the meth cook is at this point explaining to his wife Skylar who's in on the uh, the business um, why she shouldn't fear that he's in danger from like other gangsters um, so he says do you know how much I make a year I mean even if I told you you wouldn't believe it do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work a business big enough that it could be listed on the Nasdaq goes belly up disappears it ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to. So let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skylar. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot. You think that of me? No, I am the one who knocks. So that, um, there's kind of two iconic Breaking Bad quotes. One of them is, I am the one who knocks. The other one is, tread lightly from a different scene. And uh, this monologue I think um, like a real turning point for the character as he kind of admits that not only is he powerful but he enjoys his power he gets off on it and I think he's dropping the facade of being this sort of meek mild-mannered perpetual life victim he's kind of giving that up and coming into his power and, and claiming it I wonder, um, like, looking at these quotes and looking at, like, those scenes, I wonder what you think is different in terms of, like, what looking at dialogue for film or TV versus looking at it from, like, the point of view of writing fan fiction or just, like, normal narrative. Because I think, you know, when you look at, for instance, those lines, I, I'm thinking of the Elizabeth Moss one. So much of that delivery and so much of that, work is from her acting skills which yeah are stellar I think you know she's one of one of the best actresses of her generation yeah and you're kind of like okay like seeing this if I was just going to see these lines written in fiction I don't know that I would feel the same about them than I do when I watch her deliver them and I was wondering like what's your perspective on that what do you think what, do you think we just have to grieve the fact that our lines are just never going to sound that well because we don't have actors saying them? Or, do you know, like, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Um, I do, I agree that, like, the quotes that I shared, if they existed in a work of purely written fiction, you would, you might need to break some of them up with, um, like, explanations of what that character is doing at that time that they're speaking or what they look like. I mean, with uh, the Walter White, the Breaking Bad quote, he the actor is quite active in moving around and gesticulating as he's speaking. So that's something that you would have to break that quote up and put those actions into the text. With the Peggy quote, 
I agree that, you know, something major is lost when I simply read it to you and you don't get Elizabeth Moss, Moss's stunning delivery. But again, I think we know that one thing that, that uh, written fiction can do that movies can't do is have this sort of stunning and gorgeous and exquisite descriptive passages. And so what, you know, as the beauty of acting is removed, you can add in these descriptive passages that can contribute that emotion. And so um, in the Peggy scene, she's sitting quite still. She's sitting on a sofa. She's not really gesticulating that much. So maybe it's kind of a description of what she looks like. Maybe it's the context of what came right before. Maybe you're drawing attention to a detail of her clothing or, you know, something about her appearance. But yeah, you definitely, um, without having an actor to perform those lines, you do need in addition to just sim simply dialogue tags, you need some description of what's going on as this person is speaking. And, um, you know, not just a description of their tone, but any kind of indicator of what's going on with them, like psychologically. Now, I would argue that some monologues are written in fiction to be uninterrupted by any kind of dialogue ta tag or uh, description of what's going on, but they're written in such a way that it's meant it's meant to be that like you don't need that. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote kind of a mini monologue for one of my characters in Merry Men in a chapter that's going to be upcoming um, and I think will probably be published by the time this episode comes out where it is sort of it's a pretty short monologue but it's mostly uninterrupted and it's it's meant to be that you can infer what's going on by what he's saying the point is that like you can see from the commands that he's giving to the other person you can infer what's going on in their conversation yeah i think that's um that's very interesting i do i think one of the things that i do um in terms of that i noticed and that's just the way maybe maybe that's just the way my brain works and other people's brains doesn't work like that but i've noticed that like you have to think about if you're going to put in like dialogue tags or like, you know, descriptors of actions that are in between, you know, like in between different lines of dialogue, see them also as like the break, the break time that it takes for your character to pause between those sentences. So I think one of the things, you know, if you say like, this is a sentence he said, this is another sentence. The pause that it will, that it will take your reader, the time that it takes to say, to read he said, especially because he said is a word that we tend to skip over is very quick. Whereas if you say, this is a sentence, he said, then he went to open the window, looked out, and that is just more time, and that is a pause. And you need to think about that pause, and you need to think about where to place that pause in your speech to kind of transcribe as well in real time the time that passes between like different quotes of your characters like that's something that I do think a lot about when I when yeah. I'm writing is like kind of having space for those pauses of when people speak and inserting my descriptions of the yes. actions when those are needed yes I totally agree with that and I think that's when you can think about you know if a character is running to deliver a message and after they deliver the message they're panting for breath for a long time that's a time when you can take a little more time to narrate because it makes sense that that person is not about to continue speaking until they've caught their breath and it gives you more time whereas like in a um like a, 
a conversation where there's multiple people in the room, as soon as one person stops talking, another person is going to start and they don't have to catch their breath because they weren't just speaking. And that's when you have to like move it along quickly because otherwise it's going to feel like when you were 11 on MSN and you would wait for the computer to load the next message and you'd be like waiting and waiting. Yeah, so-and-so is typing. Uh <laughs> yeah. Or like when somebody is going to break up with you over DM and you see them click so-and-so is typing for like 15 minutes and like you know what they're going to say because it's taken them that long to... Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I think, you know, those are things that you need to think about when you're writing dialogue as well as like the natural pauses. And I think that is something that you can use to your advantage to kind of get over the fact that you don't have an actor saying it. I think those are things that those are like tips and tricks that you can use to give your dialogue more breath, more, more, more importance, more, more pauses or more, or be quicker if you need to, um, in terms of, you know, like you can kind of play with the delivery a little bit. Of course, it's never going to be like having a real actor saying it, but those are things that you can think about, I think. Yes, and I definitely think there is such a thing as like a work of fiction that can't be read aloud because you don't have the right actors to read it aloud. Like, I definitely feel most of what I write, I would refuse to read aloud because I can't speak it. I can't, I can't do the voices as they are in my head. Like, I can't do the accents vocally. But there's always this dream of like hearing mm -hmm. the right person reading it aloud. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so I, I also wanted to talk about learning different dialects of English and reproducing them in your writing. Um, this, I think, is one of the hardest aspects of writing is if you want to write a story that is not set in the place where you live um, and you want to realistically produce that dialect, it it's a combination of a few things. Some of it is vocabulary, um, some of it is slang and idioms, and some of it are these small grammatical differences that I think can be quite hard to pick up on if you don't have somebody like better reading for you or, or giving you those tips. And for me, you know, I've done this a few times and I've spent a lot of time kind of going into the dialect and, and, and trying to be able to reproduce it. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of trompe l'oeil of, of uh, creating that illusion because, of course, it's not who you really are or how you really talk, but it's how you're kind of reproducing someone else's voice. And uh, I'm really impressed by people who can do it well, um, but I know that it is quite difficult and, you know, I don't always, uh, I don't always meet the expectations that I have. I mean, especially for you, Joe, as somebody who your natural dialect is kind of a weird blend because you're living in a different country than where you were from, but you're used to speaking English for a long time now, but that's not really like your full natural dialect. Like, how would you say you go about trying to like produce a dialect that isn't your own i will be honest i don't um i think well i do to a certain extent so i think this is something that we have an episode of, that's uh that actually so by the time this episode airs uh it will have aired the week before so if you want to listen to that uh go ahead it's it's going to be episode seven about uh, writing in a different language it's i think there's like a world of things that is where speaking another language or, you know, coming from a different culture or things like that are incredible, are an incredible advantage to writing 
in English, even if it's your second language. You have another culture, you have idioms, you have like so much more. I think like it really enriches, in my opinion, it really enriches your writing um, generally. However, you have to come to terms uh, to terms with the fact that sometimes you're just not going to get there and you're just not going to be as proficient as someone who speaks English as a first language. Like I've been living in Ireland for six years. There are regional accents in Ireland a lot, like um in the UK, you know, where like you have towns that are 50 kilometers apart and they have like different accents. I still can't tell a Cork accent. Like I, I can hear it's different, but my ears are just not made to pick up on these things. And it's like for Irish people, it will be incredibly obvious that someone's from Northern Ireland or that someone's from Cork or that someone's from the West. I don't really hear that. Um, and I think for most people who, you know, speak English as a second language and even like write in English, there's just stuff that is going to be really, really hard for you to pick up on, to, to pick on. And it's going to be, there's just, I think you can't, you, you can't really, unless you're working like 24 seven on that. And that's the only thing you're working on. But have you considered working 24 seven? <laughs> I have a life. Um, but I think unless, unless you're going to be, unless you're going to be like that, there's stuff that's just, that you're just going to miss. I think, you can you can be as diligent as you possibly can be it, there's still things that like you're not going to be comfortable in you're not going to you're not going to hear a lot of people as well and that's something we touched on on that episode about um about writing in a different language there's a lot of people online especially on fan fiction who write english as a second language with, without ever having lived in an english speaking country like there's a world of people who just have just learned English through the media, through like reading, writing and stuff, but they've not, they've not lived. And those, you're just never going to get to the level of fluency and the level of ability that someone who has English as a first language uh, can do like in terms of dialogue. I do think there are things that can make it better. And those are the things that we've already mentioned about exposing yourself, about listening, you know, listening to the way people talk. Uh, and I also think getting getting a, a better reader who yes. actually has that dialogue, because there are things that are unsearchable, like you wouldn't think to search. And therefore, you wouldn't pick up unless somebody mm-hmm. just told you. And definitely, it's it's helped me a lot to have worked with like Floriat Castellum and being told like don't say gotten and things like where like wouldn't have occurred to me to like look this up I will say that there there's like extremely tiny regional differences in English if you're like if you're going to England like you know 25 kilometers apart two different villages will have like slightly different slang for everything but I I think there's like one there's like a major difference between like you know like American English and British English, like, like as a whole in general, that isn't as granular. Um, and I do think that like, if you are wanting to write anything set in the UK, and you are not from there, then you probably should put some effort into learning it. Because I would argue it's not that hard to at least get the basics and get the themes down and then search up individual words when you need to. So for me, for example, it's not that I know every single time like a different word would be used it's that i know the general categories and topics where things tend to be different and so i know 
Um, for example, like roads, traffic, car related words are something where I would always double check. Um, another example would be like, this sounds highly specific, but like products for babies is another area where like uh, words tend to be really different. Um, words that have to do with the education system and educational credentials and so forth. So those are areas when like, it's not that I know every single time that there's a difference, it's that I know when to check. And again, like you don't have to get it 100% of the time, but if you get it like 75% of the time, I think readers will be like sufficiently pleased mm -hmm. that they'll forgive you when you don't get it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's kind of where I was going when you're when you're coming at it from like a foreign language sort of perspective. As I said, you're never going to get too perfect. I don't think you can get too perfect. And I think you just have to accept that. But you can get to 70 percent with, you know, like listening to the way people talk, watching media doing all these things, you can get to like a 70, 75%. And, you know, you have to, I think that is one of the things where I'm like, I'm happy with my 75%. I know I was editing castles yesterday and I was like, I was rereading uh, chapters nine and 10 and I was like, ugh, the dialogue, like, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? We'll get to 70% and that's it. Like, I can tell that, like, there's something wrong, but it's really hard for me to, like, make it sound better. And, like, for me personally, if you've read my fan fiction, and especially, I think, you know, I, I wish I had had time. I was going to do this and then I didn't have time this week. But I was going to go through my uh, shorter pieces and my one shots and seeing how many actually scenes have like spoken lines of dialogue between two people. Because if you read my stuff, you'll notice there's not that much dialogue. <laughs> like it is one of those things where I'm like, I'm, and I think you have to be aware of your strengths and weaknesses as a writer. I know I have certain strengths, but I know dialogue is not a strength of mine. And so I will usually, what I think you can do and something that you can look at if, you know, you're in that situation where you're just like, okay, I'm a foreigner. I, I'm never going to get to perfect in dialogue is having the most important lines of dialogue dialogued. And then you can like play around with narration to play around those lines. So, you know, like in the Fulton Ford manufacturing, for instance, I think it's like three or four scenes where like characters have like more than five lines of back and forth. Like it's like most of my stuff is like one line of one character and line of another and that's it, you know, and like that's the entirety of the conversation. And I think you know, that's, that's how, and I think that's one of, it's kind of like the thing of like, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Like, that's how I make lemonade is like, I'm like, okay, I'm not very good at this. I'm aware of that. So I'm going to try and avoid it and like rewrite some of the content either through narration or, you know, through like kind of starting the conversation at the very end of the conversation rather than starting it at the beginning and stuff. There are people who are incredibly good at writing dialogue and lots of back and forth. I think, to be honest, J.K. Rowling is very good at dialogue. I am not. So, you know, it's just, I think you have to be aware of your strengths and weaknesses as well. Like, I know dialogue is just not something that I'm very good at. <laughs> One thing I would add for dialogue, this is the last thing that I want to add, that I would say it's a new thing that I'm playing with. And this is something that I learned from Noah Baumbach when I was kind of studying his movies to be like, why is this dialogue so good? Like, why do I like it so much? Is try writing a conversation scene in which even though characters are talking 
to each other, they're not actually responding to what the other person is saying because sometimes people talk at rather than to each other. So I've started to play with like, just because one character said something doesn't mean that the next thing a character says is gonna be directly responding because people often don't listen to each other or actively like mm -hmm. choose to ignore what the other person has said. So I would say that um, if you've been sort of operating on this default assumption that a conversation is something where one person says something and the next yeah. person responds to what is said, try it a different way. Try like conversations where each person deliberately ignores, misconstrues, or straight up doesn't reply to what the other person said. It can, it can make for some yeah. really interesting scenes. Yeah, 100%. And I was going to ask, what do you think is the hardest sort of dialogue to write? Because I know for me, I really struggled to write uh, scenes in which characters are fighting, like having an argument. I find arguments incredibly hard to write um, just in terms of dialogue. And a lot of the time, like, if you've read, if you've read my stuff, it's like, they argue about it for 10 minutes. <laughs> That's it. That's how kind yeah. of like how I get around it. Cause I just don't like writing it. I was wondering like, what is your opinion on that? Like, what is the hardest sort of dialogue that you think is to, to like to write? Um, like for me, it's always like the dialect. It's, it's, I mean, I, mm. I will, I will say that like in my story now, you know, when you have like characters where each character has a, a different accent, it can be hard because like in the story that I'm writing now, like people are from all over the US. So like they don't all speak with the same dialect. And so it's like the switching. Um, I find writing like like AAVE, which is African-American vernacular English, like that's a challenge because it has its own like specific grammar um, and like there are incorrect and correct ways of doing it. So like like it's very much the, the, the switches in dialect an accent for me. Um, I would say like a, a highly emotional scene should not be dialect driven. Like it should be much more about like body language and other forms of communication because like most like really informational, really emotional information like doesn't have to be explicitly said. You know, I really love writing dialect for like mean, nasty or awful characters. <laughs> like I, I think that's, that's like the most fun dialect is when I'm in getting to inhabit like a really unreasonable or terrible person that that's my favorite so I guess the hardest mm. dialect to write is when you're writing the kind of sh sort of straight man character like the person who's not as quirky or weird the person who's a little bit more normal and needs more subtlety like that that's harder to write yeah fair enough um, okay, well, I think uh, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, this was a very interesting discussion. I hope you guys uh, learned a lot. Um, so, Lani, I see that you don't really have any other recommendations uh, from the last episode rec we recorded, it during which you recommended The Song of Achilles, uh, which I have picked up for my upcoming holidays. I don't know if I'm going to get to it, but it's definitely, it's a book that I have now purchased. <laughs> Um, yeah, in terms of, uh, in terms of dialogue, I think, um, I can recommend, like, Aaron Sorkin, um, I think, you know, like anything, The Social Network is a really good, is a really good film to look at, um, and 
in terms of Ken Loach, I didn't name any specific movies, but I think if you are interested in Ireland and Irish culture and just want to write like an Irish character, I think uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley is a must watch and it's a beautiful movie that will make you cry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so Lani, where can we find you online? Copper Dash Dust is my handle on both uh, AO3 and Tumblr. Cool. And I'm Pebbly Send on Tumblr and AO3 as well. If you have any feedback or suggestions uh, for topics for next episode or want to like give us any sort of input, uh, our ask box is open. You can find the podcast at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. Bye, everyone. Bye.